Say, she wanted me just not to go to the penitentiary and bear the family. And uh, she really it, it seriously wanted us to serve the Lord. Wouldn't it be something if you knew the future? I mean, that'd be, you have to admit, that'd be kind of neat. If you knew the future. Did you ever think, yeah, if I just, if I just knew the future. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't understand the present, and I'm a little confused about the past. Am I right? But what if you could understand the future? What if you could look off into the future and understand it? And what if you could understand the future about really, really important things? Like the, the thing that we're going to talk about today because it's the subject of the text is the church. Actually, it's the church. And, and why church? Right? That, that's the title of my sermon. It's actually going to be a two-parter. Why church part one is today. Why church part two is tomorrow. Why church part one is Ephesians 2 and verses 11 through 22. Why church part two is the subject spills over into chapter 3 in Ephesians, and it's important. You might not think so, but it's important. So what's the future of you? What's the future of this world? What's the future of the church? Wouldn't you like to know? Well, you can. Story is told of a, of a pastor, H.A. Ironside, who was a really popular itinerant preacher, he had a unique style about him. He did what the English call running commentary or scripture reading. The way he would preach the Bible is he would, he would read through a passage of scripture, and while he was reading through the passage of scripture, he would make comments as he went along, and then he would add illustrations from his very illustrative and colorful and interesting world traveler kind of life. And his messages were recorded in books, I have them. They're just fascinating to read, even today. He had this amazing ability, H.A. Ironside. He's preaching one day, and he told a story of traveling on a train, and the fortune teller woman, not knowing who he was, which is kind of interesting, came up to him, and she said to him, for a coin, I will tell you your future. He smiled at her, and he says, well, now, before you do that, I'm a, you need to know I'm a Scotsman and slow to part with my money. <laughs> and I actually have a little book in my back pocket today that tells me my past, my present, and my future. And she said, you have such a book. He then withdrew his New Testament, and he turned to this passage, Ephesians chapter 2. And the first chunk of Ephesians chapter 2 goes past, present, and future. And the second part of Ephesians 2, the one we're going to deal with today, has the same structure, past, present, and future. Before Christ, when Christ came, since Christ. It's a great pattern to think about. What were you like before Jesus? What happened when Jesus came into your life and you believed? And how has your life been since that? That's a story that just plain never gets old. And Ironside told her that, and she said, I think I picked the wrong guy. <laughs> I read that, I thought, if she could tell the future, she would have known that. <laughs> so chapter 2 traces their past and their present and their future two times. In verses 1 through 10, it's once for all humanity in general, and, and, and in verses 11 through 12, it focuses in on non-Jewish Gentiles, 
And if you want to, when we think about the tension between Jews and Gentiles, which may or may not be very real to you today, just think of any tension that you sense relationally with anybody or that maybe what you have is that kind of dark sense of existential angst that you really can't figure out that just hangs over your life in general and you feel kind of like an outsider. If that's your experience, this will be a text that will be helpful to you today because we're going to see what God has to say about your past and about your present and about your future if you are in Christ and why the church is important to that. So there are three things here that help us to understand how important the church is. I'll give you my basic outline because I'm I got really fancy since it's Mother's Day, and I have swanky subpoints. I got points, and I got subpoints. So you're not going to get shortchanged today. And if you want to see those, because they're all artful like that, you can look them up at BethelJackson.org on the Sunday Live tab, and you can see that little outline. You can see that I actually did think this through ahead of time. If you, if you really want to be ahead of the game and you want to shoot your phone a picture of that little uh, tag that's in front of you, it can take you, follow the link to our digital bulletin, and there's an abbreviated outline there too. Anything we can do to kind of help you track, or you could just listen really carefully. I'm going to deal with the material here in three different things. You're going to see this, and that is, how can I see church the way God sees it? How can I see my future the way God wants me to see the future? And that is to remember who you were without Christ, verses 11 and 12. Remember who you were without Christ. Meditate on who you are in Christ, verses 13 through 20. And imagine what you'll become with Christ in the future, verses 21 and 22. Called my mother today. She answered cheerfully like she has done every day of her life that I remember. She starts every day with singing. She literally singing and throwing open the drapes. That's, that's my mom. She's had hard times, but she lands on her feet and sings. Here's one of the things I said to her. I said, Mom, I just want you to know you've been such a consistent. You pointed me to Jesus so consistently. You've made my life so very secure. I'm so grateful that my mom and my dad helped to make my life secure. Now, maybe that hasn't been your experience, but I think when we, when we orient ourselves according to what God has taught us in the word right here, in God's holy, infallible word, it will, it will underpin our life with a powerful security that wouldn't otherwise be possible in such a crazy time. So, so to understand these things, so how do I understand the church the way God sees it? How do I understand the world the way God sees it? How do I understand the past the way God sees it? How do I... Dif- How do I decode the present the way God sees it? And how do I know the future the way God sees it? I want to suggest he's given us his word. He speaks directly to that, to be in Christ and to participate in what he calls the church will have a powerful effect on your life. Remember who you were without Christ. This is the way the passage says it. Let's just read the whole thing, uh, the whole chunk, and then we'll go back and work through it just a little at a time. Therefore, remember, I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, 
that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in the body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer aliens and strangers, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You want to remember who you were before Jesus, without Christ, verses 11 and 12. You were excluded. You were on the outside by men because of their sin. That's verse 11. You were actually excluded on the outside by God because of your sin. That's verse 12. Because others sin against you, you have experienced alienation. Can anybody groan with me on that? Anybody not sit at the popular table in high school? Like, I never got to go to the popular table. And I'm still waiting to be invited to the popular table in life. Yeah, or, or have you ever been, how many of you, maybe you don't want to raise your hand, it's too painful. You've been cut from the team. Yeah, why are you laughing? That's not funny. I, I can remember not being able to walk home because of the tears in my eyes because I thought my whole life depended on making the team and I never made the team. Or maybe you had somebody break up with you or worse, God forbid, divorce you. Or you just found in your life just an irreconcilable difference with somebody that you really hoped you'd be able to get along with but you just can't. And you always feel the alienation of that. And I was talking, I used those big words, existential angst earlier. You know what I'm talking about. Just kind of a, a dark cloud that hangs over your head where you feel like you just don't really, something isn't quite right. You don't really feel like you belong. That's the thing. That's a real thing. That's what God's talking about here. And all of us have experienced feeling like we got put on the outside, like we don't belong. Somebody doesn't think we should be a part of things. This addresses that, but the, at the root of it is sin. Other people's sin against us, our sin against God. You see it there real clearly. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that, that, that because of your own sin, you were on the outside. Um, here, here's uh, verse 12. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope and without God in the world. It's kind of a stark picture. 
Isaiah 51 in verse 1 says this. Do you, have you ever had somebody say to you, you need to remember the pit from which you were dug? That, did you know that comes out of the Bible? That's in Isaiah 51. It's actually a good thing to remember the pit from which we were dug. Isaiah and chapter 50 and verse 1. Listen to me. You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. You were called uncircumcision by the circumcision. I don't know if it's been your experience, but sometimes people know just the right name to call you to make you feel just especially excluded, just especially alienated. You know, it's like, like, let me call him Jordan here, a Buckeye. He would just, he wouldn't be able to digest his lunch if you were to do that to him. I'd never do such a thing to him. Wouldn't even think about it. Wouldn't even cross my mind. There's an inscription on the uh, wall of the outer courtyard in Jerusalem, the temple, and a couple of these have been found fairly recently, warning Gentiles that they would only have themselves to blame for their death if they passed into the inner courts. So here the Jewish people are saying, up like, we met God, and we have God's law, and we're the true worshipers of God, and you have to stay where you are, and you can't come inside. That wasn't supposed to be that way. People were alienated because God's people that were supposed to be a blessing to the world misunderstood what he said, and they weren't being a blessing to the world, though they have become such. They, you, you were excluded, you were outside by, because you were excluded by men because, of, because they sinned against you, and maybe you've had that. Maybe that, you've had that experience, or maybe you feel that every day. And then we have this too. We're excluded by God because of our sin. And, and we know that's true too. It's like you have a little nagging sense that sometimes you got your own self in trouble. Sometimes you're where you're at because of what you did or didn't do. And, and that's true with all of us. And it's very true here. Look at verse 12. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's actually painful but poetic, isn't it? The way it's expressed. You're without Christ because of your sin. You're without citizenship because of your sin. You're without covenants, the promises that God made, special promises he made. You're without confidence. You're hopeless. Without God, without your, your, the creator God isn't your God. If you're outside of Christ, you're godless, hopeless and godless. Christ, without Christ, without citizenship, without covenants, without confidence, without your creator. This would tend to make a person feel a sense of alienation that they just couldn't explain. That's true about every human being. It's true about you. So now that explains a lot. It's not, it's not just that people have mistreated you, though I'm sure they have sometimes. It's that because of our sin, we're not right with God. And we, I was at the doctor, and the doctor knew that I was a minister in, in another town, in another time. He knew that I was a pastor, and so he was talking about children. His theology was a little bit foggy about original sin. His, his theology was a little bit foggy about the doctrine of original sin, that children are born with a sin nature. And he's confused with the idea of innocence. A, ch a child who hasn't actively sinned yet still has a sin nature. They're accountable to God, but they haven't, they haven't actively sinned yet. He was kind of confusing those together. And what he said, his theology was bad. Kind of what he said was wrong. And, uh, and uh, I had an opinion about my medication. And he said what I believed was wrong. 
and he had an opinion about theology, and I knew that what he believed was wrong. So being very careful because they could prescribe things that will kill you in a slow and painful way. <laughs> I said to him, you're Catholic, aren't you? He said, yes, I am. I go, you should probably talk to your priest about that because they believe in original sin. And that's what the Bible teaches. And why am I telling you this? Here's why. It's worse than you thought. You are farther from God than you realized you were outside of Christ. Because you're a decent guy or a decent lady, and because you're, you know, a card-carrying American citizen or something like that, or because you try to pay your bills on time and you mow your lawn, you don't let it grow up in weeds and irritate your neighbors and you keep your pot smoking under control, because of all that, you sometimes think, you have a tendency to think, I am okay with God. But according to the Bible, even the first sin alienates us from God. We're sin, we sin because we're sinners. And, I don't, I, and that, it, it can't, it's so important to see that, that this is what's true and, and, and terribly important. And that is to understand, to be right with God, to be reconciled with God, to be in Christ. This is the first thing to understand. And even after you know the Lord, and after you walk with the Lord, one of the best ways to warm your heart spiritually is this thing where you remember the pit from which you were dug. You remember your past sin. You think about your stuff. Think about the sinner that you are. You got to do this in the light of the cross. You want to be in the shadow of the cross when you do this. You don't want to be far from the cross. You want to go sit at the foot of the cross. See, remembering that Jesus loves you, that he died for you. And then you want to remember your worst sin. And then you want to thank God for it. You want to remember your most shameful moment. And then you want to thank God for the cross. You want to think about who you really are if all the tethers are off, who you really would have become if it hadn't been for the influences in your life that, that, that kind of ameliorated that. And then thank God. That, see what I mean? That's, that, that's the way to come to Christ initially. And that's a way to warm your heart spiritually as well. You sit in the shadow of the cross and you remember you're passing. This is what Paul is saying here. And he's reminding them, you remember who you were before Christ? You were alienated from God, and you were alienated from man. You were far from God. That's the way that was. And then we have another, remember we said this last, last week, we have another blessed conjunction in verse 13, but now, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the by the blood of Christ. Now we understand why Christians are so enthused about such an unusual thing as blood because God recognizes the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus, that symbolically in his blood, God recognizes that to forgive us of all of our sin. And so now we meditate on who we are in Christ. Number one, verses 11 and 12, if you want to understand your future and you want to appreciate the church, you think about who you were, verses 11 and 12. You meditate on who you've become in Christ, verses 13 through 20. But now in Christ Jesus, you've, you who were once afar off have been brought near. All that changed when Christ died. And then there are, there are four pictures that are given here of who you become in Christ. You're a new humanity. It's like you're a whole new human. Uh, Lois, I love you, and I publicly honor you today. I know you don't like me to talk about you publicly, but God gave us eight kids and 19 grandkids. I was just thinking, they are such neat humans. Okay, this is just me talking to Lois, so don't, but you know, when I go meet them as adults, I'm like, 
they're such neat adults. They're, they're, they're humans. They're, they're, now, they're not perfect. Uh, not at all, they're, because the dad isn't perfect. And, but, but, the, but they're neat humans. There's something about a, 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 that humanity that God created people, and they have their own personalities, and they do their own things, and they accomplish their own accomplishments, and they go their own places. You know, you've got uh, historians in your family. You've got musicians in your family. You've got military people, and you've got peacekeepers, and you've got teachers in your family. You've got little Jalicia came in here today, and I don't know where she got this. Maybe you guys trained her this. She's got it figured out. She has told, doesn't she? She, came, she started at the back of the auditorium and saw me and bu- burst into a run and threw herself in my arms. I'm like, now that kid knows how to greet a grandpa right there. <laughs> Somehow, she got serious. She's got that ama- just amazing like, that's something I would cherish more than a new bike. And, and uh, this is about that humanity. God is the one who created humanity. And he wants us to operate at our human best, our highest version of humanity. And he says, for that to happen, I've created this thing that brings everybody together under Christ through my blood. And it's called the church. It's a new humanity. It's humanity. It's humans at their best. Hey, interesting. So it says, for he himself, verse 14, is our peace, who's made both one, broken down the flesh, dividing wall of hostility, abolishes the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself a one new man in the place of two, making peace. Everybody together. And he might reconcile us both, this is Jew-Gentile, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. This is amazing right here. In Christ, in the church, he has given us the highest expression of humanity and he's broken down all the things that divide us. God's intent on Calvary was to unite God to one another, and, and people to one another, unite us to God and people to one another. And God's, the church is the way God sees that. And remember, the cause for the church was the blood of Jesus, his life. So we're a new humanity, we're a new nation, we're a new family, we're a new temple, we're a new nation. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens of the saints. You're, you're, in, you're, in, you're a citizen of the nation of God, which is the church. So there's a new humanity, a new nation, or it's identity. It gets warmer and sweeter, a new family. Look at the second part of verse 19. We're members of the household of God. So, if your family, like I said, nice things about my own family, but we also, our family has, let's just say, needs. We have needs. They surface, and we're not, we're not with the Lord yet, so when these things surface, they can be painful. Is it that way in your family? I'm sure it is. You got a beautiful family, but you also have like, wow, brokenness in there. And one day, God is going to, God is perfecting for us now a new family that doesn't have any spots or wrinkles. Um, he's working on that members of the household of God. God says, I got you and my family. And that's an amazing way of God expressing his desire that you would not be alienated from him. I want you part of a new perfect humanity. I want you part of my nation. I want you part of my family. And then verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone. 
he, he, after he uses these other pictures, which are all powerful, he uses the most important, the biggest one that's used throughout the New Testament, it's used throughout the Bible, it's the temple language. It's God using temple language. I know it's Mother's Day and you're thinking about other stuff, but if you could just for a moment consider that the Bible keeps bringing up this temple thing from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there's something important to it something for us to understand in it. And then he gets into kind of detail, but in verse 20, he mentions it. So if we want to understand the future, we want to understand our past. We want to understand what happened since Christ came. In our past, we were alienated from man and from God because of their sin and because of our sin. In the present, through Christ, we're reconciled to God and put into the church so we're in a member of a new humanity, of a new nation, of a new family, and of a new temple of God. The temple of God is us gathered so we meditate on who we are in Christ. We sit at the foot of the cross. We just think about who he says we are in Christ. Let that sink in. It'll be good for your soul. And third, we imagine what we will become in Christ. And this passage then goes into the future and says in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In him also we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. This is just awesome language. Maybe it's lost on you right now. Let me, let me try to help. God says, I'm going I'm to make a place where my glory dwells. And he gave illustrations of this in the Old Testament, literally the Shekinah glory of God coming on the tabernacle, coming on the temple. God's grieved. Ichabod, the glory departs. The prophets weep. The glory is departed. Jesus comes to the temple. The glory, he's the glory of the Father. Where is the glory manifested in our time? Paul is going to say in the next chapter, it's a mystery, the glory of God, his glory, presence, power, working, beauty is manifested where the saints gather in the church. And you are an irrevocably placed part of that. If you're in Christ, you're in it and you're in it forever. And that's amazing right there. You say, people reject me. Okay, but God accepts you. Oh, but I'm the outside of that club. Well, you're the inside of God's club. Oh, I, I, I got cut from the team. You got put on his team. That's amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? Are, are you getting this? Are, it, should, it should be, okay, I don't care if in my family, my, my, maybe you're, I'm, I'm going to go on thin ice. Maybe, ladies, you get honored the way you should be honored today, and I'm glad. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. And maybe the thing that you always long to hear, you just don't hear. There is one who understands you and who accepts you, and he is God. And it is through his son, Jesus, that you can feel the full, complete, and total peace with God and acceptance with God. And he'll work out the other details later. Because if you're accepted with God, even if you feel rejection in some level somewhere else in your life or family, you can, you can handle it. You can persevere. You can find joy. This is why this is so powerfully important. If you answer the question, why church? You'll come into sharp focus in your soul. The church is the temple of God in our age, the place of the glory presence. In your, in your notes, you'll notice this, but let me just show you this uh, uh, briefly. It, it's throughout the Bible. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Don't you know, you, plural, you all, are God's temple 
and God's spirit dwells in you all. Verse, uh, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 6 says, we are the temple of the living God. God said, I'll make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. Get it? So wherever the, like, ladies' tea, um, men's Wednesday night group, uh, choir practice, bell choir, God's people gather. Where they're gathered, God's presence is among them in a unique way. That's what he promises. His glory is manifested. Elders gather Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. God is present. God's glory is present. His power is present to nudge those men Godward. You, you, you go to church for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you say, I get up on Sunday morning, I go to church because I hope the sermon isn't boring. I hope the sermon isn't boring and irrelevant. But like, what if it is? Because it inevitably is going to be. What, what if it is? You, well, I go to church, I hope the singing, oh, they didn't sing my favorite songs. I went to a church recently that had nice songs, none of which I knew. I like to just beller. I like to just sing and beller, you know. But I don't know the songs, I can't. So it's like I have to stand there and listen to songs I don't know. Um, it's like, well, okay, so what if you got nothing out of the preaching? What if you got nothing out of the singing or the teaching? Well, maybe you should go then, you know, for other people. Say, well, there's somebody there that I can bless. Yeah, that's a good reason. But, what, but I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, went to church with our kids, and our son Daniel, they had three little boys, and they're just awesome, precious little ragamuffins in there. And they're new to the town, so they're not used to their children's programming yet, so they're not ready to just go into the children's programming and, and behave. And so the, Dan says, man, just, we just feel like all we do is wrestle with the kids all the time. And Lois said, I think, I did that for 20 years. That's what she said. <laughs> and so it was probably more like 30, right? So, and, but I just remember, honey, you have them all lined up on the pew. But, but that was after, I think, you wrestled. So I said to Daniel, if you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get anything out of the preaching, and if you don't get anything out of the music, and if you never get the kids to settle down in the children's programmings, you're not able to encourage anybody else. Your God knows you were there and you are giving him thanks and praise that you draw breath every day. And that's a good reason to go. God's church gathered with God's people. He manifests himself. But, but folks, here's the thing I think I, I'm trying to clarify to you. If it is the place of God's glory presence, if the gathering of the saints is the place of the glory presence of God, then it will help you in ways that you really can't even initially see or figure out. You trust him in that. So glad you're here. Um, Ephesians 2, 1, 21, 22, what we just read. 1 Peter 2, 15, you yourselves are like living stones. See what I'm doing? I'm doing a little quick Bible survey on how often the Bible says that the church is the temple in our time, the place where God's glory presence dwells where he works special. That's why you should be a part of it. That's why you should contribute to it. That's why you should serve in it. That's why you should attend. That's why you should, it should be important to you. It should be really important to you. Church isn't just like what you do if you don't have a golf date or a cabin up north or a kid's soccer game. It's the church of the living God. It's the assembly of the saints. It's something you should take with utmost seriousness. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. You see all the temple language that's associated with the church? Are you tracking with me? These are passages about the church, and they're using temple 
language. This is your theological moment, in case you're wondering. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, and you have that last emphasis, you have the law of end stress, if you will. They have the thing at the end. It's like, look, this is the big thing. What do you have? The universe coming under Jesus in a temple, and the whole world is a temple of worship to the living God. You were made for God to manifest his glory in you and, and to you, and the church is God's plan for our age. The church is the dwelling place of the Spirit among whom God manifests his glory. Together in the church, we are the temple. This is where God especially manifests his glory. We gather and we are the temple of God. Gentiles were excluded from the temple, but now we are the temple. So let's review real quick and give you some bullet points, okay? Then you will see. If you remember your past, you see what God's doing, what Jesus is doing currently, where he's taking you in the future, you then see the church the way God sees the church. You see past, present, and future the way God does. Then these are the things that you'll see. Just to review, the church is God's plan for our time to unite everyone and everything in Christ. That's verses 13 and 14, and it says it throughout the passage. The church frees us from the demands of the ceremonial law. People that think church is just like, oh, it's people that are putting you under a heavy obligation. No, you don't get it. That's not what the church is about. No, it frees you from the demands of ceremonial law. The church is the people in a place that have special access to God, special love from God, verses 16 and 18. The church is a new kingdom, a new nation, a new family, a new humanity, a new temple. These things are all true, the dwelling place of God. So how important is church to you? It's something to think about. That you, that you, uh, and, and I, you're here, so I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, I commend you uh, for that. Important. It should be something that you support. You should be a part of it. You should support it. You should serve in it. You should, you should talk nice about it. You should not let yourself get alienated from people within the church. Like, it's so easy to do because we're all human so that you don't find yourself being distanced from the church. This is a very dangerous thing. You should speak, talk nice about Jesus' bride. Hear me now. I understand many of you, if not all of you, have been deeply hurt by Christian people. I have been deeply hurt by Christian people. But everything I have said today is still true about the body of Christ. And you are in a dangerous and slippery place if you ever allow yourself to forget that. Because of all the things that God wants to give you through his church and how he wants to use you in his church. So sometimes I've worried about my family. Maybe you too. Pastor's family gets generally treated really nice. Lots of nice things. People do so many nice things. Every once in a while not, things happen. They're like, oh, they're not good. And your kids watch you, you go through that. And, you know, we had, a, you know, this, we had a season really terrible like that. And I thought a lot about this. Don't be discouraged with the church, I told myself and I tell my kids and my wife. Don't keep the church at arm's length. It's God's church. Don't be frustrated when you find out the church is made up of people with flaws and warts. It's his church that progressively he's ironing out the wrinkles and cleaning out the spots. One day we'll be with the Lord. And then you will really, then we'll have a full reconciliation with anybody that we had a misunderstanding with that knows the Lord. So let's keep improving. Remember Lowe's? Keep improving. Think about it like this. You ever watch those shows where people have this beautiful, like, dream home? 
Do you have a dream home in your brain? Like, I live in mine. We have a little country house. Do you have a dream home? And where you think, this is where my art studio will be. This is where I'll play my piano. This is where my dog will, will curl up at my feet, right over here. This is where I'll stack my firewood. This is where I'll watch the tigers. You know, yeah. you, got, you got that? It's a deep place in your soul, you think. And then when I get a little bit of money, I'll put marble countertops in there. And, and when I can, we'll put one of those um, grandfather clocks over there in that corner. You, dream, you just think about it, your dream home. It's natural, isn't it? God has a dream home. And it's us, it's you. He says he dwells in us. He dreams about what he can do in us, through us, with us. We're God's dream home. That's amazing. If God has a program, I want to say, God, even if I don't fully understand it, I want to be in. I want to be in. More importantly than joining anything, I've been cut from this and excluded from that. I'm not a part of this. I'm, I'm not smart enough for this. And I'm not quick enough for that. I'm not wealthy enough for this. And I can't golf. Well, I can't be a part of the country club. So, oh, but I'm a part of the church of the living God, which will go out into eternity a blessing. That's, it's a glorious church without spot, a wrinkle, or any such thing. Your divine acceptance cancels out all of your human rejection. And God accepts you, and he does in Christ. It doesn't matter who rejects you. I wanted, your, I wanted to remind you about that today. I heard about these fellows. They were soldiers. I think they were in France. They were in a terrible battle in France. And they were under enemy fire. And one of them was mortally wounded. His friends wanted to bury them with their own hands. They went to the village priest, and they said to the village priest, our comrade has fallen in battle, and would you please allow us to bury him in your cemetery? The priest said what he was supposed to say. Is he Catholic? And they said, no, he, he's not. And so the priest says, well, I'm sorry. Our rule is he has to be buried outside of the fence. So if you want to bury him, you can, but you have to bury him outside the fence. And they said, well, thank you for that. And they buried their friend. And they mourned over his grave. And they went and they spent the night. And then in the morning, they decided that they would go say goodbye to him. And then they would go home. And when they went to the cemetery, they couldn't find his grave. They're outside the fence where they had dug his grave yesterday. It was just undisturbed grass. And they were so confused. They went in and they knocked on the door. And the priest came. And they said, we can't find our friend's grave. He says, I couldn't sleep last night. I got up and I moved the fence. <laughs> God in Christ moved the fence so that you could be in. Thanks be unto God. Today, we want you to be in Christ. Eddie, come and pray. You can be in Christ if you believe. Repent of your sin, believe in Jesus, trust him. One of the ways you could do that would be to come and talk with one of our counselors who's going to be here at the end and, or, or make an appointment with me. I'd be glad to either set it up for you to talk with me. I'll come to your home or you can come to my study or I can send one of our people who loves to help you understand that or walk you through any questions that you have so that you could come to Christ. 
if what I said today is true, can you imagine being eternally and completely excluded from God forever outside of Christ? What a horrifying tragedy that would be. But what if I said it was true, then Jesus moved the fence to include you, and you could be forever and finally in the family of God, a part of the temple of God. How glorious, how wonderful that would be. Stand with us, Eddie's going to pronounce the benediction.